Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm moved by that story, that because of your generosity, we are able to uh, tangibly help people in our community, so thank you. Um, and if the opportunity comes for us to tell some more stories about the way your generosity is affecting people's lives, real, people, real people's lives right here in our community, we are going to do that. If you have a Bible with you or an electronic device that you would like to uh, join me as I read John 15, 12 through 15, uh, you can do that. And it reads like this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Do you know how you, you can know if you are living an unhurried life? There are many ways, but the, one of the ways that I want to speak about today is that you have time for your friends. There, there are many times in life where life becomes so busy, we hardly have time for our immediate family members, much less our friends. And when this happens, our friends will rarely remind us that they feel neglected. Friends will not clamor or uh, try to get on our calendars. Friends will not shame us into finding time with us. Friends will wait. Friends will wonder what's going on uh, in our lives that makes it us so that we're too busy for a cup of coffee or a quick phone call to catch up. Friends rarely impede on the life choices that we make, even if those choices result in distance and neglect. Yet I believe that the scripture we read a moment ago from the Gospel of John presents us with another facet of practicing the unhurried life. Jesus, of course, recognized the importance of friendship and taking time to nurture those relationships. I have some friends with whom I communicate about once a week. Our emails may be brief and even cryptic at times, Yet, the regular contact is always rewarding to me, and it often is meaningful. I have some friends that I may talk to a couple of times a year. These friends do not take as much of my time, nor me theirs, but they remain important connections for grounding me in my past and providing unbiased guidance to me for my future. And I have the occasional friend that I haven't talked with in years, and when we get together, when we make contact, it is like no time has passed since the last time we were together. This happened to me recently when I received an email from a fellow pastor who is serving a church in, a, in rural Nebraska. We knew each other 20 years ago when we served churches together on the East Coast. When we sat down to talk over coffee all these years later, it was like no time had passed since the last time that we were together. We caught up on our lives. We described our families to one another. We reflected on how we've changed and continue to be the same people as we were 20 years ago. And as we got up to leave, it occurred to me that God had given me a gift in this friend 20 years ago, and now I was being reminded of this gift this many years later. 
In this passage of scripture that we read a moment ago from the Gospel of John, Jesus makes this profound statement about the nature of friendship. Jesus is trying to describe what the kingdom of God looks like. He begins by describing his own relationship to his father. The connection between God the Father and God the Son is integral to the relationship that God the Father and Son desires to have with us. Elsewhere, Jesus compares this relationship as being similar to the relationship between the vine and the branches. And if you cut off the branch from the vine, the branch will shrivel and die and will cease to flourish. Likewise, our relationship with the Father and the Son is integral to our flourishing. The word that Jesus uses to form the basis of this relationship between he and his disciples is love. Sometimes the most difficult part about friendship with God and with others is the recognition that we are God's beloved, no matter what. Jesus says it like this. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. Unmerited, sacrificial love is the glue of this relationship. And no matter how difficult it may be for us to accept God's unmerited love, it is the basis and the impetus for every loving relationship that we have. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for their friends. In other words, the glue that helps us live unhurried lives is a self-sacrificing love that's similar to the love that we receive from the Father through the Son. And it is expressed most clearly in our relationship with others. So this leads me to my very first observation about the nature of spiritual friendship this morning. Love gives itself away on behalf of the other. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for their friends. Friends provide space for the friendship to flourish at, at a distance that seems comfortable for one another. Friends invest themselves in the lives of their friends so that together they can both flourish. Not all friendships are like this. Some friendships suck the life out of you. I don't know if you've ever experienced this kind of friendship, but when you're with friends like this, it's often about their problems, their issues, their complaints, and you quietly wish that if you just listen long enough, it will dawn on them to ask you how you are doing, even though that rarely happens. These life-exhausting friendships are often one way. When our encounters with friends like this are finished, they will feel much better as they walk away and go on to the next thing, and we need to take a nap in order to recover. But the kind of friendship that Jesus is describing in this text is not like this. Jesus is describing what I call a life-giving friendship where the conversation isn't just one way, but it is a conversation that takes place uh, between both of us. Life-giving friendships are important for our spiritual health, 
And they contribute immensely to an unhurried life because they remind us what is most important in life. Life-giving friendship takes time. It often costs us something. And life-giving friendships leave us uh, refreshed and fulfilled because of the time that we have invested in that relationship. Those who do not have time for life-giving friendships like this are probably not practicing an unhurried life. How could they? This kind of friendship may not be as demanding as our employer or our family, but a life-giving friendship is, is a representation of God's priorities in our lives. Life-giving friendships is, it enables us to be free, to offer advice without guilt or condemnation. Life-giving friendships wait patiently on us to find the time to speak honestly into our lives with the priorities of God's kingdom. Life-giving friendships are the kinds of friendships that, uh, that wait and wonder and, and love us no matter what. There's a corollary friendship that Jesus is alluding to in this passage. Jesus follows this description of friendship by looking at his disciples and he says, you are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. What's remarkable about this statement of friendship between Jesus and the disciples, which is based, of course, on Jesus' prior relationship with God, is that Jesus is essentially turning upside down the common notion of what one's relationship to God can be. You see, in the ancient world, the typical understanding of one's interaction with God was always based on performance. It was based on religious ritual. God is only interested in me as long as I continue to perform up to, to God's uh, expectations, as if any of us can actually know what God's expectations are. At that moment, I fail to fulfill all of those expectations that, God, that, I, that I understand God has for me, then God has no... Uh, business or interest in me after that. Sometimes we say, God is too busy to be friends with me. God must be more interested in someone else's problems. So Jesus takes this, this very ancient understanding of religious performance as the basis of one's relationship with God, and he turns it on its head. The disciple is not just a practitioner of a set of rules that they must obey or else, but a disciple is loved by God and God desires to be our friend. Our motivation to follow Jesus is not based on some prescribed expectations or fear of failure or even the avoidance of, of doing something wrong and, and experiencing God's anger. The only motivation that Jesus knows with his father and desires for us as his disciples is friendship with God that is based in a kind of, of, of mutual love that this whole passage kind of points to. And in reality, the life-giving friendships that we have with one another are simply extensions of the kind of relationship that God desires to have with us. 
Jesus has a self-sacrificing relationship with the Father that is akin to the relationship between the vine and the branch, as I've already suggested. He could no sooner cut himself off from the vine than a, vi- a, a branch can cut themselves off from the vine. The relationship between the Father and the Son is expressed in an equal and unguarded desire on the part of Jesus to have this same kind of relationship with us. This relationship is not about works. It's not about performance or religious ritual. This relationship is based in love that gives itself away. This relationship is freely available to each of us no matter where we come from, no matter what we've done, and it is the basis of this friendship with God that we can experience a life-giving relationship with one another. Let, Let me be so bold to say, a life-giving relationship with God goes hand in hand with a life-giving relationship with our friends. A few years ago, uh, a few hiking buddies and I were hiking on a 50-mile backpacking trip in Glacier National Park in Montana. And the first day was a beautiful day. It was probably in the low to mid-80s. And we had to hike on the, on the mid, middle of the day through a, a burn section of the trail where there had been a fire years ago. So there was no shade. There was no cover. It was like walking in the direct sun for, for a number of hours. And I, I miscalculated uh, my water consumption during this hike. And I, I uh, about an hour and a half into it, began to get heat exhaustion, which uh, involves getting a little dizzy. You, uh, you, you obviously are quite thirsty. You, you become exhausted. And eventually, you become delirious. And, and it's actually a, a quite serious uh, condition. Uh, you, you, should, you should get water and rest in some shade immediately when you get into this place. But there we were out in the middle of nowhere, and I was becoming delirious with this 50-pound pack on my back. And one of my friends that was hiking with me said, uh, let's just sit down and, and, and rest for a second, Brad. And so we did. He gave me some of his water, which just was remarkable. But he had to, he had to pace his water consumption, too. And then as we got up to, to put our packs back on, and at this point, I am thinking, oh, no, I can't carry this pack. My friend comes over, and he says, let me carry your pack for you. So for the rest of that afternoon, my friend had my 50-pound pack on top of his 50-pound pack as we walked uh, to to our campsite that evening. That's what friends do. And if you find yourself today yearning for this kind of friendship with God, with others, I've got good news for you. God desires for us to be his friend. And further, God desires for us to be friends like this with one another. If you have been listening to me describe these two kinds of friendships, the the life-exhausting kind of friendship or the life-giving kind of uh, friendship, and you are interested in having more life-giving relationships, you don't have to continue to wonder how you get those. All you have to do is to begin investing yourself in your friends the same way that Jesus has invested in you.
If you find yourself reflecting on a particular friend that has, has been that life-giving source of encouragement to you over the years, but you haven't reciprocated in a while, I encourage you to take the time to look them up, send them a note, send them an email, give them a call, and begin to recover re, um, that relationship that you once had that was so meaningful at one time. You know, I like the way Wesley Hill sums the importance of friendship up when he says this. God never meant us to be purely spiritual creatures. That is why he uses material things like conversations, shared meals and trips, hugs, small kindnesses, and gifts between friends to enrich the new life he's given us. We may think this rather crude and unspiritual. God does not. He invented human relationships. He likes friendship. He invented it. Friends in Jesus Christ, if we want to practice the unhurried life, we must discover the joy of being friends with God in Christ, and we must be prepared to invest ourselves in our friends. Jesus would have it no other way. Now, here are some questions that I want us to consider perhaps with those that are sitting with you uh, worshiping this morning. And here's the first question. Friendship with God is a difficult concept for many people to understand. Why do you think that is so often the case? Sure, it's easy for us to talk about being friends with people, but it's a little more difficult for us to, to conceive of friendship with God. So, Take a moment and discuss that with whoever might be uh, worshiping with you this morning. The second question I have is this. Can you describe a time when a friend gave themselves away on your behalf? Did you ever have a friend that took your 50-pound pack and carried it up the trail for you? What did that feel like? And the third question. To whom is God calling you to invest yourself in right now as a friend? And what steps do you need to take today to, to begin to do that? Friends, I, I, I see this as a wonderful opportunity while we are socially and physically isolated from one another to consider what an unhurried life looks like. And one of the aspects of living a one, uh, unhurried life is uh, investing ourselves in our friendships. And I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. God, I'm going to be so bold this morning to pray that you will put the face of the person on our mind right now that you are asking, calling, encouraging us to, um, to be a friend to. Maybe there's someone that we are in touch with on a regular basis. And during this time of isolation, we've been in touch with them less, and we miss that. Maybe there's someone who invested themselves in our lives a long time ago, and we recognize now the significance of what they did, and we want to reciprocate that. Give us the courage to, to make that phone call, send that email, or that text, or, or whatever form of communication we happen to use. 
Finally, God, if there's anyone within hearing of my voice today who up until now has never fully understood the nature of the friendship that God would like to have with us, I pray that you would convict their hearts to put aside all of the obstacles and all of the screens that have kept you at an arm distance and enable them to welcome you into their lives as God, as Savior, and as friend. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.